The Athletic. Oh, a chance! Yeah. Alonso! Can you believe it? 2-1 to Chelsea, deep into stoppage time. We come from, from a huge, huge game on, on, on Wednesday night and, and, and again we perform like this. It's uh, massive. There is the final whistle here and it's ended Chelsea 5, Reading 0. An emphatic final day victory for the Blues. They are champions of England. The strength in depth, the strength in character, our ability to be able to handle game after game without much recovery, real testament to the players, to the backroom staff. I think this is the reason why we are the best team. This is Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea take a giant stride towards a top four finish after winning in Manchester. We look ahead to the visit of Arsenal and celebrate Chelsea champions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. I'm guessing you had a good weekend after Chelsea's Etihad excellence and WSL title success. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by The Athletic's Chelsea reporters, Liam Toomey. Hello. Can anything stop the Tuchel train? I don't think so. Uh, Simon Johnson's also with us. Hello to you. I bought my tickets. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Choo-choo. Uh, Dom Fifield's on assignment today. He'll be back with us on Thursday when we'll preview the FA Cup final and the Champions League final. First up today, though, Saturday's win at the Etihad. Manchester City won Chelsea 2 then. The Blues forcing City to take the champagne out of the ice bucket and put it back in the fridge. Or, to quote a security bloke I overheard at the Etihad shouting at one of his underlings, get them smoke machines packed away now. Uh, Chelsea lifting up to third as a result of this victory. Simon, I feel like this is a deserved win. I mean, they had the ball in the net five times, for one thing. Absolutely. I thought there was a lot made of of uh, a certain penalty that didn't go Man City's way. But um, no, I thought, barring a couple of minutes of madness at the end of the first half, um, I didn't really think that, that Man City albeit a supposed weak Man City, laid much of a glove on Chelsea. I thought they were very much in control, perhaps a little bit a little bit passive in the first half, but in, in terms of the second half, it was there was only one team that was that was going to win that game. And I think it all started with Rhys James setting the tone on, on the right flank, uh, the way he, he bullied Mendy uh, time and time again. And it, it just seemed to breed confidence and Whilst Chelsea didn't have shot after shot after shot, there were so many times they looked dangerous. Um, and as you said, you know, perhaps if, if Timo Werner managed to stay on side a few times, that, that, that would have made the scoreline more convincing. But I was just thoroughly impressed because this it had this weird feel at the start of it, almost like a pre-season friendly, because Man City hadn't really picked their strongest team. Chelsea had made changes and, and were clearly feeling the effects of the Real Madrid game. It was played at quite a slow pace, but for them to win this game, I just think was hugely significant, particularly for the, the top four race. Uh, Liam, here's a question that's come in via Twitter from Ben, who asks, how much of a psychological boost do you think there is over Pep? A lot's been made of the fact they played weaker teams, but is there a chance Tuchel's got in his head 
Could he end up overthinking tactics and playing to Chelsea's hands? Or could Chelsea come into the game overconfident? The game being the Champions League final, of course. I don't see I don't see a great risk of Chelsea going into the Champions League final overconfident because even if they've had a couple of good results against City, I think Tuchel will be drilling into those players that every game exists in its own context, especially with two coaches that can do so many different tactical things and have so many different personnel options. The Champions League final will be a totally different game again. And I don't think Tuchel will have a big job convincing his players of that. And also, it's Manchester City. They've been the best team in Europe for most of the season. So I don't see how you could get complacent against them. Uh, Both games have been close. There is a non-zero chance that Pep could uh, overthink things, (laughs) as we know from the latter stages of the Champions League. He's avoided that pretty admirably so far in this year's competition. Maybe it's the presence of... Juan Manuel Lilo, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce his surname, his new assistant. Maybe he's the steadying hand that that Pep lacked before, the kind of better angel on his shoulder tactically. But yeah, they have seemed to stick to what they do well largely. And uh, the temptation was there for them in the semi-final against PSG to stray away from what they do best, particularly with the threat of Mbappe and Neymar on the counter-attack. And they, they largely managed that really well. So... I just think it's going to be another really close game because both games have been really close, very tactical, played at a high intensity in terms of pressing. It might come down to a mistake like the one Andreas Christensen makes in the first half or you know, City playing too high and Werner catching them out. But I think it will be a game settled on, on the fine details and it will be a different looking game from this one. Back to the Premier League, Simon. It feels big to go third. I mean, everything pretty much fell in Chelsea's favour this weekend, starting with Leicester losing on Friday night, then Spurs on Saturday, West Ham on Sunday. But 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 being in third, it, it means that those teams below Chelsea and, and below Leicester are kind of looking at Leicester rather than Chelsea, I think now, and, and thinking that's the team that they could catch rather than rather than Chelsea. Yeah, and, and, and I wrote a piece, Matt, my, my piece from the City game, because... I could see the way it was going. The press conferences with both managers were all about the Champions League final, the Champions League final, psychological edge, just what you what you raised with Liam there. And and like Liam, I'm sitting there going, this that that's got really nothing to do with it. I mean, yeah, it's nice obviously for Chelsea to have beaten them twice, but it, it doesn't really have much of a connection to the Champions League final. The the significance of Saturday was what it meant for the top four race. Like Chelsea now, and particularly then with with West Ham losing as well uh, on the Sunday, it's just given Chelsea um, where where there is a significance in terms of the Champions League final is the potential, for example, of the Aston Villa game being a dead rubber, and and Tuchel being able to wrap up his most of his first team in Cotton Wool. Maybe he'll throw a few dummies and and pick a few players because obviously Pep will be looking at his lineup for any clues. Um, potentially of who he leaves out, thinking, oh, they'll, they're going to play in the final. He might throw a few dummies that way. But I just think it was massive to to, to relieve some of that pressure. They, they now need, I think, a maximum of two wins from the three games to, to guarantee top four. And that's relying on all the, the teams behind them sort of winning every game that, they, that, that they've got left. So I, I just think it's uh, it that was three bonus points. And I, I made a point of saying... If you're one of the teams behind Chelsea, you'd have ringed that date in the calendar, Man City-Chelsea, or Chelsea will at most get a point from that game. And the psychological blow of Chelsea winning that, 
I just think because uh, we'll have deflated them and I think you're right I think they're looking more at Leicester who have had a few dodgy results lately whereas Tuchel under Tuchel Chelsea have got this seemingly unstoppable momentum in terms of a top four finish and um, in saying that they might lose to Arsenal now and it all suddenly <laughs> comes apart again um, because we have been in that situation before of course when everyone expected Arsenal to be rolled over on Boxing Day and uh, it they actually turned up for probably one of few times this season. I'm still stunned when I look at the Premier League table now because from the moment Tuchel came in, Chelsea had such a formidable chasing job and it's felt like they were chasing and chasing and chasing this whole time and and even every draw, you know, we know they haven't lost much, but every draw has felt like a potential killer, including that Brighton game amid all the Super League drama. And now suddenly, pretty much in the space of a weekend, Chelsea are in a really commanding position. You've got Leicester as a buffer in fourth to the teams chasing below. And West Ham, I think Liverpool were the team Chelsea were most worried about, to be honest. If you look at their, if you looked at their running, they had a really favourable running on paper and they've just not made the most of it. And that's been a huge, huge boost for Chelsea. And now they're looking very likely to, to, to complete the comeback. Yeah, Chelsea six points ahead of fifth place West Ham with a, a far better goal difference. Seven points ahead of Liverpool, albeit they do have a game in hand. Uh, before we move on from City, a couple of players that I wanted to focus on. Simon mentioned Rhys James. Uh, worth pointing out that he's actually featured more than anybody else under Thomas Tuchel. Didn't play in that first game against Wolves. He's featured at least off the bench in, in every one since. Uh, question here from Stubal, who says, what did the guys on the pod make of Billy Gilmore's performance versus City and what might it indicate for his future. Simon, we, we kind of lamented the fact that he didn't go out on loan in January, yet he started these last two Premier League games. He's not let anybody down. And, and given the expanded squads, he's, I know he's not won a Scotland cap yet, but I think he's nailed on for a place for, for the Euros for them now. Well, if you're Steve Clark and you tuned in on Saturday, you'd have liked what you saw, particularly the way he responded from the penalty, which... I think it's a combination of Zizou's being a bit clever. Um, I thought he was a little bit soft. I could see why it was given, but he also played for it. Um, and maybe Gilmore was a little bit naive. So it's a combination of all three. But I was really impressed. He played a part, particularly in the second half, of Chelsea sort of taking control of that game, taking control of midfield. He sort of seemed to grow more and more into the match. And this was against Man City. You know, this wasn't against... A Crystal Palace say he's got nothing to play for. There's a Man City side that knew if they won, they were going to win the Premier League. Um, I was very, very impressed. Not that I was surprised, because I think he's a he's, he's a top top talent. And and there is going to be a decision to be made that's going to have to be made in the summer about what's best for him. But you can imagine Tuchel watching these two performances he's put in and thinking, yeah, I can trust you. I can rely on you. I want you part of my plans next season. Yeah, I mean, G Gilmore had difficult moments in that game, which you'd expect against one of the most tactically intense, technically sophisticated teams anywhere in Europe. But as Simon said, he was a big part in their comeback. And in particular, when Kante came off and Jorginho came on, I feared that Chelsea might lose a bit of momentum um, that they built up because they'd lose that drive in midfield. And the fact that they didn't, is testament to how well Jorginho is playing, but part of, part of it was also Gilmore. And um, I, I was talking to Jordan Campbell, actually, our Rangers writer, 
earlier this week. So he's a lot more plugged into the Scotland squad situation than I am. He was saying that the difficult thing for Gilmore is that Scotland's squad is probably strongest in central midfield. But as Simon said, if you're watching, if you're Steve Clark and you're watching Billy Gilmore more than hold his own against one of the best passing, pressing teams in the country, that can only be good for his case. What about Callum Hudson-Odoi, Liam? Tushar has tweeted us to, to ask why is Thomas Tuchel so conservative when it comes to, to using him? Is, is it just the fact that he's third choice behind Rhys James and, and Cesar Azpilicueta for right wing back and he's got a whole host of players ahead of him further up the field? So this is kind of bound to happen. Should he be worried? Uh, we, it feels like we've been asking whether Callum Hudson-Odoi should be worried forever <laughs> from, from the moment he came into the first team picture. Um, the squad situation is definitely a big part of it, um, wherever he's looking to play. But I think there's there's a more fundamental point of does Tuchel trust him tactically? And uh, you, you look at, at the end of that game, Tuchel doing the very sort of ostentatious Pep-style coaching of Hudson-Odoi on the pitch as the players were walking off. That that to me was a sign of, you know, I, this is what I want you to be doing every week when you're on the pitch. If you want to play for me, these are the things I expect from you. And I don't know if that's fair because it's very hard to say if it's fair from the outside. We don't see training. He, he's not getting a lot of minutes, so we can't judge from his minutes on the pitch. All we know really is Hudson-Odoi's talent, which is absolutely massive. So I think there will be opportunities for him in these last couple of Premier League games, whether they're as many as he as he wants to get. We'll see. But 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 beyond that, I mean, I think Chelsea still look at him as someone who's a key part of their future plans. Yeah, that bit at full time with the embrace was um, big Conte and, and nature Labour vibes from 2016 at the Etihad um, for me. Uh, so that's Hudson-Odoi. Uh, Simon, no Tammy Abraham on the pitch at the Etihad again. You, you've got news regarding him in uh, David Ornstein's Monday column on The Athletic. Yeah, I just, I just uh, West Ham, uh, of course, David Moyes ruled out signing Tammy Abraham for the price that, that Chelsea are looking for. But that's not the end of West Ham's pursuit that they will, in brackets, optimistically <laughs> try to sign him on loan. But I don't think it's it's too ridiculous a notion. It is relying probably on Chelsea somehow convincing Tammy Abraham to sign a new deal. And obviously also relying on other clubs not meet, meeting their asking price. But I think we're, we're, we are at a time in football where people are sort of expecting this mad transfer window where clubs are going to go out. But clubs are still feeling the pinch of COVID. So when you've got a club that are sort of asking for silly money for, for players, their valuations are going to be struggled to be met. And then, then it's up to the clubs. Well, are you prepared to to take a lower fee. And I'm not sure Chelsea, with their track record, have shown that they're, oh, yeah, all right, then we'll, we'll take half. <laughs> like it, it doesn't work like that. Like they're, Marina Granosky loves a, a, a big money deal, you know, like, that looks good. And they and Chelsea are under pressure to, to bring some money in. So I don't think it's, well, whilst I think it's optimistic, I don't think it's the most ridiculous notion because there is a danger that, that Tammy Abraham will be priced out of a move He's not really part of Tuchel's plans, obviously. So what, what's the next best option? It's a loan. And he'll, he'll probably be looking at what's happened to Jesse Lingard at West Ham and thinking, well, if Lingard can go there and, and make a big impact, then, then perhaps so can I. But 
like I said, I, I still think that this is go this is not the be all and end all of this story. I think it's going to run over the next few months. Um, a lot of toing and froing regarding Abraham's future. How's this for a ridiculous notion, Liam? This is something that's just popped into my head, and please dismiss it as nonsense. Why don't you go to Dortmund and say we like Erling Haaland? How about we chuck Tammy Abraham in? Possible. Um, I, I mean, everything that Dortmund have been saying is that they're not selling Haaland this summer regardless. Um, and then you hear these pretty wild reports uh, coming out of certain places saying Mino Rael is like, well, I'll, I'll take him to Bayern Munich next summer then if you don't <laughs> let him go this summer, which sounds very Mino Raiola, to be fair. Um, sounds straight out of his playbook. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't be the worst move. I mean, it feels like every striker that goes to Dortmund immediately averages a goal a game. The, something about their system and the way they play uh, just generates chance after chance for strikers. I'm sure Abraham would do well in Germany. But I think there's a bigger picture strategy question here as well for Chelsea, You know, following on from what Simon was saying, where they paid all these pre-pandemic prices during a pandemic for players last summer. And if they're going to add to this squad again, whether it be Erling Haaland or Romelu Lukaku or someone else, they would probably be paying a pre-pandemic premium again. Um, to get that player are they on the other end prepared to take pandemic prices for the players they sell um, to to trim this squad down because the squad's only getting bigger they do need to offload one way or another and it, I think it's going to be a big it's going to be the biggest test of Marina Granovskaya's negotiating ability yet in terms of selling players because she's all she's never compromised on value and if you were ever going to have to compromise on value it would be now and Abraham's just part of that picture. Well, we'll see if Tammy Abraham gets any time on the field on Wednesday night when Chelsea are back in Premier League action. We'll look ahead to the game against Arsenal next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Arsenal come to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday night then for Chelsea's final London derby of the season. The Blues have the best record in the Premier League this season in such fixtures. Um, Simon, any danger of complacency here? I know they beat relegated West Brom on Sunday, but Arsenal look pretty rank at the moment. Uh, I feel like in, in uh, Parliament, I refer the Honourable Gentleman to the answer I gave some <laughs> moments ago. <laughs> the Boxing Day. And, and also just Arsenal have this knack of of turning up against Chelsea. Simon, I was just looking at the head-to-head. Yeah. Chelsea have played well against Arsenal once in the last four years, <laughs> in my mind, which was the Europa League final. And even then, they weren't great in the first half. Yeah, and I remember like last season... When they 2 0 up, Chelsea? At Stanford Bridge. 1 0 and 2 1. Yeah. I, I, 
I definitely have visions of Martinelli managing to run the length of the pitch and, and Conte falling over. I mean, this could be their season, sort of their DVD, you know, the, the home and away double over Chelsea. They haven't got very much else to, to cheer about. Maybe William now he's got his first goal for Arsenal is, is, is going to be full of confidence and beware the free kick from 25 yards out. On paper and everything, everything that we see about the two two teams, Chelsea should win this game. They're, they're a far better team, far better coach team. Arteta, for Arteta, reader a, a worse version than Frank Lampard in terms of where Arsenal seasons at. Um, no European football for the first time since the mid nineties. Adrift, struggling, battling out with with Leeds for for you know in terms of where they're going to finish in mid table. That they've been an absolute mess. I, I actually tweeted, I tweeted about six weeks ago, mistakenly during the West Ham game. It was a, it was, it was kind of the the, the don'ts of Twitter. Don't, don't form an opinion on Twitter whilst the game's still going on because, because the team can come back. And West Ham were three 0 up at the time, and I just went, can anyone tell me what progress Arsenal are making under Arteta? They come back to draw three three, and I, I was bombarded. With Arsenal fans going, oh, Arteta's the greatest, <laughs> and I, and even then I was going, I, and I sort of joked at myself, went, oh, when will I ever learn? You know, never tweet during the game. But even then I was going, this is Arsenal celebrating getting a point at West Ham. <laughs> like, you know how how the mighty have fallen. I mean, I was I was in Paris for the Champions League final in two thousand six against Barcelona, and you were sort of watching this great this great team come very close to win, becoming the first London club to win a, win the Champions League. And like they're now sort of just this also ran. Sorry, this is sounding more like an Arsenal <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> Handbreak off also available from <laughs> The Athletic and ad-free if you go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up now. But put it this way, uh, I'll, I'll shut up uh, very quickly. <laughs> that Chelsea should win this game. They, it, it would be after, after the... The, the bonus three points of Man City. Tuchel will now be drilling into them. Kill it. Kill this top four. Kill Arsenal. Make amends for Boxing Day, even though I wasn't in charge at that point. It'll be it'll be saying remember that game. And yeah, they should they should they should win this game. Liam, this will very hopefully be the final behind closed doors game at Stamford Bridge. It, it feels crazy to think that Thomas Tuchel hasn't experienced a game with, with Chelsea supporters in the stadium. And, and you think back to the kind of rancour when he was appointed and Frank Lampard was dismissed. And, you know, had he come in, had there been supporters for his first game in charge, it might have been a bit of a mixed reaction. Now he's just going to be deified, isn't he? Because he looks like a, a bona fide genius. Yeah, it's definitely worked for him, um, particularly in those early weeks when Chelsea were struggling to score, struggling to create anything and having tons of possession. You could easily see if Stamford Bridge were full, you know, Sarri Mark II in terms of the reaction, particularly post-Lampard. So I think it's worked brilliantly for him. It's allowed him to build momentum, to properly implement this style of play, get his players executing it properly, get the results, which then gets the fans on board. And so at this point, yeah, there will be a very good atmosphere when, when the Chelsea fans come back. And it's, I can't describe how long overdue. Um, I mean, obviously, from a safety point of view, it is what it is. But when I was at the Real Madrid game in the Champions League semi-final, I had to keep telling myself it was a Champions League semi-final because it's so difficult 
to instinctively know that there's something riding on it other than the way you know the benches are acting um just the total lack of atmosphere is so it's still so jarring you, you don't get used to it um and I, my mind still goes back to the Leeds game probably the last good performance under Lampard when they had about I think it was what 4000 fans in Stamford Bridge and you could see the players felt it um I think Chelsea players ran more that day than maybe any other time this season and I still remember when Rhys James put in that cross for Olivier Giroud's goal. He wheeled away in front of the lower tier of the West Stand, like pumping his fists at the fans because they've missed them. I think players up and down the country have, have missed playing to a crowd and getting that adrenaline going, and it'll be great to have it back. Yeah, can't wait for that. Leicester at home on Tuesday after the FA Cup final. There will be, all being well, Chelsea supporters in attendance. Uh, the Arsenal game kicks off 8.15 UK time on Wednesday night. We'll be recording another bonus pod on Thursday, so we'll react to it there. Next today, though, Chelsea champion. And the announcer is announcing that Chelsea are the champions of England. Lifts the trophy and fireworks shoot off here in South London. They are champions of England once again. Chelsea's women's team made it back-to-back league titles on Sunday as they crushed Reading 5-0 at Kingsbury to confirm their status as league champions and to mean the quintuple is still on. Naturally, Fran Kirby and Sam Kerr were amongst the goals. Kerr won the WSL's golden boot. Erin Cuthbert and Melanie Lerpols also scored to mean the Blues finished two points ahead of Manchester City. So Chelsea have cooked the goose of many an opponent this season. Still, this was a slightly surprising analogy from Emma Hayes in her pre-Reading press conference. I think it's important that that, that um, some different geese lead the formation. They take the wind resistance for the rest. Changing leaders is something that's pretty normal in our environment. And as we always know with geese, they're extremely loyal to their cause. Importantly, they support each other. If you didn't already know when a goose or geese gets injured, Two birds always accompany them to the ground. So the fact that we support each other and uh, my message to the team will be just like geese do, honk hard at the person in front of you. Because if you didn't know honking in geese culture is to make the person in front of you speed up. Yeah, few V formations I want to see on Sunday. Uh, here's a question from John who asks, with the women's team on the verge of a quadruple, so quintuple, if you include the Community Shield, John, uh, are there any fears that Emma Hayes will feel as though she's achieved everything she can at Chelsea and look to move on to pastures new? Or is she fully committed to staying for even longer? Simon, I guess that the immediate response to that is to say, well, yeah, she will have won everything. But when she was linked with Wimbledon earlier in this season, she pointed out she was, she was working with elite players and that's what she wanted to do. And she's unlikely to get the kind of autonomy that she's afforded at Chelsea anywhere else, men's or women's team, surely. Yeah, it's very hard to walk away from this from this club, um, this situation where Chelsea are dominant. Because realistically speaking, a job in men's football is, is, is clearly not going to be the same. It's going to be sort of starting at a much lower tier and and as she sort of pointed out around the time of the AFC Wimbledon link, that this sort of feeling that a step you know a step into men's football is is a step up. Um, she was very sort of um, adamant that that was like a, a slight against uh, women's football and the job that she's doing there. 
she'll probably have her own ambitions as well about, you know, say, for example, Chelsea do win the Champions League, you know, she might want to retain it just as she has done the, the WSL just now again. Become the new Leon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and become the dominant force of of uh, women's football in Europe. Um, it's a very, very hard job to walk away from. I mean, Chelsea's budget as well, they, they, they tend to sign, you know, big, big players in the women's game. It'd be just whether she wants that challenge, I suppose, of, of sort of like working in a different environment. But I just, all the vibes I get from her, she's happy where she is. She's she's just loving, loving her life at Chelsea. And yeah, it's, it's going to take some offer, some club to, to, to remotely tempt her, I think. Yeah, certainly almost impossible to see her at another women's club in England. Uh, here's a question from Matt, that's me, to Liam. Uh, remember when you and I were fretting over Sam Kerr's form? Oh, what, what what a pair of buffoons we are. Yeah, maybe um, maybe this is a prelude to Timo Werner's remarkable resurgence, <laughs> refinding his clinical touch. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's probably a testament to... Well, it's a testament certainly to Kerr's own resilience because she did have a really difficult time when she came in. I think it's probably also a credit to Emma Hayes' management because she didn't take her out of the team. She didn't make a big issue of it. She was certainly her biggest defender whenever whenever she was asked about um, Kerr's form publicly. And I think it now seems increasingly clear that Kerr was signed in part with the Kerr-Kirby partnership in mind. Um, and their chemistry is so good. You know, Emma Hayes and Paul Green, her assistant, they, they plan out their recruitment strategy like few other recruitment teams in football uh, there's always a grander vision for the team and I, I i believe i believe personally that that was always the plan that they were going to pair those two and that they thought their qualities would work really well together and this season's been the most emphatic vindication of that possible um Kerr looks really good now she still has the occasional bad miss so in that sense i think she probably is like good timo verna she's just going to get a lot of chances score a lot and miss a lot but as long as she's scoring a lot, it's it's no problem for Chelsea at all. Over 50 goals between that pair this season. It's remarkable. Yeah, I, I just wanted to sort of give a shout out. Isn't it right that, that Man City only lost one game and that was to Chelsea and, and, and that was the decisive factor in this title race because they only finished two points behind. That, that's right, isn't it? That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I just sort of think, I, I think that just sort of makes the achievement all the more commendable you know they were pushed very well right to the right to the end I mean Man City obviously knew very quickly that any hope of of winning the league was gone was as Chelsea ran right against Reading but we we also saw didn't we Emma Hayes reaction to that to the final whistle the 2-2 draw at Man City a few weeks ago it's like that was the moment she felt they'd won the league also says a lot about the confidence about the final two games. She, she sort, of, sort of knew the job was done. But again, I, I just sort of think it's, it's the fact that the team was pushed right to the end and still came out on top, whilst also got Champions League to worry about, just makes the achievement all the more commendable. Yeah, brilliant stuff. We'll have uh, more on the women's team on Thursday's bonus body. If you're an athletic subscriber as well, uh, have a look at the piece that Katie Wyatt's written on the genius of Emma Hayes. It's excellent. A Champions League final against Barcelona takes place in Gothenburg this Sunday, of course. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23 side rounded off their league campaign with a 4-2 win against Blackburn on Friday. Goals from Brian Fearbeamer, Harvey Vale and Henry Lawrence Brace ensured that Andy Meyer's side 
finishing second place in the PL2 table. Meanwhile, the under-18s beat Spurs by a goal to nil thanks to Dion Rankin's strike just after half-time. Like the senior team, Ed Brand's boys take on Arsenal on Wednesday before finishing their season with a home derby against Fulham on Saturday. Now, that'll just about do it for this episode. Before we go, let's see what the Japs have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Simon, you can go first. Well, we've kind of already touched on it, but I'm, I'm writing a piece about um, Callum Hudson-Odoi and his situation, just compiling a table and his lack of minutes since the international break really does hammer it home. Because before that, he was he was thriving. Now, I think uh, my calculations, he's only played less than, trying to think of all the names, Tammy Abraham, Emerson and Giroud are the only ones below him. It's a, it's a shocking turn of events. But anyway, I'm writing a piece about him. And then inevitably, we almost seem to be forgetting but there's an FA Cup final. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's gone totally under the radar. It's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> there's a really this big game at Wembley going on. You know, I know there's a Champions League final and a top four race, but so I'm I'm obviously going to write a piece. Um, I'm, I'm sort of like looking at Chelsea's Cup finals and where, because they've had such a rich history in this competition since 97 and just sort of looking at how each win sort of reflects on where Chelsea were at that point. Excellent. That sounds good. Uh, Liam, how about you? I'm on match duty this week. Um, so I'll, I'll be at Stamford Bridge for the Arsenal game and then at Wembley for the FA Cup final because I, I won the coin toss conducted over WhatsApp video call with Simon. And I'm also writing about uh, Billy Gilmore's situation. You know, the whole the whole conundrum of whether it's better to go to a slightly lower level and play regular minutes or to train regularly in in such an elite environment under one of the best coaches in Europe what's better for your development and uh you know that you can see from from the example of Phil Foden at Manchester City what can happen if you take the slightly longer route so yeah I'm gonna gonna be writing about that as well and Gilmore is someone that always interests me so I'm looking forward to writing about him athletic.com slash Chelsea pod the place to go to sign up if you're not currently a subscriber and many thanks to Simon to Liam and producer Lucy and to you listener we'll catch up with you again on Thursday until then from all of us here it's goodbye The Athletic